Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Well, good morning. I can't do it. I cried to God. I can't handle the housework, my work, the loneliness of a husband who works too much. And then I sensed the Holy Spirit saying, you're trying to do everything on your own strength. Just worship me and I'll do the rest. I said out loud, I praise you, God, in the midst of my situation, that nothing is too hard for you. Slowly, the pressure left. My burden was now his. Praise isn't always my first reaction to frustration, so I have to remind myself to do it. But now when my flesh can't go any further, I stop and worship God. Now, the words that I've read to you from Stormy O'Martian remind us about one of the valuable places of praise in the life of the believer in Jesus Christ. Now, there's a whole lot more to praise than just what is mentioned in that quote, but it does set our minds on the path towards thinking about praise and worship. And that's so appropriate as we come to today. Psalm 150 is our text, and I invite you, I invite your attention there. This is a song of praise. Now, this summer at Harvest, we've been going through the Psalms. Not all of them, of course, because there are 150 of them. But we we chose a few psalms, and each week we've been focusing on one, and today we come to the last one, Psalm 150. It's not only the last one in our series, it's the last one in the collection of the 150. So here's the background to this psalm. As the final psalm, Psalm 150 brings the entire collection to an amazing climax with 13 calls to praise in just six verses. So there are only six verses in this passage that we're going to read today. And 13 times in six verses, we're called to praise the Lord. I was joking around in the staff this week, and especially with Corey, like, man, I just can't, I, I can't figure out the theme of this psalm. It just says, praise the Lord over and over and over and over. Well, let's, let's read the psalm, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, 
The Psalms are different than other parts of Scripture in terms of often finding out what the context is. But I, I want you to think for a minute about the larger context of the Psalms. There are 150 of them, and Psalm 1 opened up with a call to obedience, right? It was blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the mockers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord and on God's law they meditate day and night. And it's all about being saturated with the scripture and obeying God and loving the word. And then there are many psalms along the way that talk about a lot of different life circumstances and situations. And now when you come to the end of the book, you get this call to praise. You get 13 times, it says, to praise God. So we're, it's like, if you look at the whole, it's like we're moving, we're starting at obedience and we're ending up in praise. I think there's some deliberate I think there's some deliberate intentionality about the way the Psalms actually are arranged, it seems. It's like, almost like the psalmist has given us a benediction. <laughs> it's like, go out and praise. I, I've, I've called on God in trouble. I've called on God in joy. I've talked about this. I've talked about that. I've talked about many times and situations to praise God, to, to need God, to call on God. And now, Go out and praise. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So the psalm breaks out. The first of the 13 is the first three words. Praise the Lord. And you know, maybe, I always, I always thought this was a call to praise the Lord, right? Okay, the psalmist is calling everybody to praise the Lord. And it is indeed. But I don't know that... It can't be something else also. That's a double negative. I know you're not supposed to use double negatives. Maybe I could reword that and say, I think it's very possible that it could be something else. It could be not only, not only a call for others to worship, but it could be worship itself. Right? This could be just an expression of worship. Not just an encouragement for others to worship, but this is worship. The psalmist is just saying, praise the Lord. The psalmist is praising God. And I don't think there's anything inconsistent about that. As we call others to worship, we ourselves are also worshiping. Now, we don't do a lot here with, uh, or at least on Sunday, I don't talk a lot about the original languages, Hebrews in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament. We 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 study them and we we do it, but... When it comes to presenting it, it's like, okay, let's show what it means. But in this case, this is really, really, the word praise the Lord is a really, really interesting word in the original language. If you go to Hebrew, it's, it's a combination of two words, Yah. And hallelujah is the word for praise. And Yah is a shortened version of one of the names of God, the name Yahweh. So when you put it together, you know the word that maybe many of us have said a lot of times in our lives and not really known what it meant? Hallelujah. It means praise the Lord. 
That's what the psalmist is starting out here with. The psalmist is saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's not just a hallelujah, it's just not an emotional expression. Now, it does involve emotions, but, but this is a deliberate call for us to make a choice to give praise and honor to the Lord. To Yahweh, the God who is the God of our covenant. Now, as we walk through Psalm 150 this morning, and this thought of praising the Lord, we're going to ask and answer four questions. The first one is where? Where, where. where should we praise the Lord? The second one is why? Why should we praise the Lord? The third one is how? How do we praise the Lord? And then the fourth one is who? Who should praise the Lord? So let's, let's, let's tackle them. Number one, where should we praise God? And the answer is everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Worshippers gather in the sanctuary. That's an appropriate place for praise. But wait a minute. God's sanctuary is not just one place that's built by human hands. Like we call this the sanctuary here, the physical building, the sanctuary of Harvest Community Church or the worship center of Harvest Community Church. And it is a sanctuary and can be a sanctuary because God's people gather here for a specific purpose, and that is to worship God. But you know where else God's sanctuary is? Everywhere. He has created the heavens. In fact, see what how verse 1 develops? Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise is not confined to one place or to a building. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Other worshipers gather outside. Some may gather inside. Other worshipers may gather outside. And who are these other worshipers? Who's out there in the mighty heavens? Well, the sun's out there, the moon, the stars, but also angelic beings. It could be all of those, if you think to Psalm 148, verse 2 and 3, which says, Praise Him, all you angels. Praise Him, all you heavenly hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. The angels should praise God and do. The sun, moon, and stars should praise God and they do. He is the one who created them. All of creation praises God. Now, when the psalmist wrote this, he would have had no way of knowing the following. But it's just interesting that research in the field of bioacoustics has revealed that every day we are surrounded by millions of ultrasonic songs. These are going on all the time, and we may not even be noticing. For instance, the electron shell of the carbon atom produces the same harmonic scale as the Gregorian chant. Whale songs can travel thousands of miles underwater. Meadowlarks have a range of 300 notes. 
A German physicist and pianist Arnold Summerfield observed that a single hydrogen atom emits 100 frequencies, which is more musical than a grand piano, which only has 88. Let everything praise God, praise him in his sanctuary, praise him in his heavens. It's happening all the time. Where should we praise God? Everywhere. Second question, why should we praise God? And verse 2 summarizes it basically by talking about who God is and what God has done. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Now, it's interesting. A lot of the Psalms give very specific reasons to praise God. It will it will, they will name a specific act that God has done or something that has a- happened in their life, an answer to prayer or an act of this, an act of creation or whatever. But here it, it's, it's more general. As we come to the end, it's more general. It's, it just fits into these kind of two categories. It's all about who God is and what God has done. So, for instance, what he has done, that is his acts of power. No doubt, if you read the Psalms around this one, leading up to it, the two acts of power in particular keep coming back over and over and over. One is creation, the way God created the world, and the second one is redemption, how he saved, he rescued, how he came to save. So we praise God for what he's done, but we also praise him for who he is, for his surpassing greatness. Why praise God? You don't have to just praise God for what he's done. That's appropriate. But praise God for who he is. Just stop and think about who God is. And, of course, what God has done comes out of, flows out of who he is. So they, they're linked. They're not two completely separate things or two unrelated things for sure. Third question is this. How should we praise God? How should we praise God? And the answer to that is in verse 3 to 5. And I just summarize it by saying with intensity. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with a resounding cymbals. A lot of instruments were used in Old Testament worship. And these are... Some examples of them, and they fit into those categories. They're percussion instruments, they're wind instruments, uh, and they're stringed instruments. All of them were there. And so there was a, a mighty, intense atmosphere as they praised God. It's a picture of intensity. The last question I want to ask you is, who should praise God? Who Who is... Who is the psalmist calling? Is it just a few people? Is it just musical people? Well, the answer is everyone breathing. All right, how many of you are breathing today? Let's see. I think you fit in that category. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Up to this point... The psalmist has been calling for a lot of different instruments, right? 
you know, the harp, the lyre, the cymbals, this and that and the other. But not everybody can play one of those instruments. Some can, and we're thankful for those that can, like those, those that played the piano today, the guitar, the bass guitar, the drum. We're thankful for people who can play those kind of instruments. Some of us can and some of us can't. But everybody has an instrument, which is our voice. And everybody can use their voice to praise God. And I think that's kind of what he's alluding to here. With some rare exceptions, some people obviously have damage to their voice, but almost everyone has a voice, an instrument with which they can praise God. It's interesting that the word that's used for breath here. It's also found in Genesis chapter 2. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, at the creation account, it says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Don't forget that God is the one that gives us our breaths, every one of them. Every breath we take is not because we decided we were going to breathe. It's not because we decided we were going to be healthy, we were going to eat right, and we were going to exercise a lot. Those are good things. But that's not the reason why you're breathing right now. Because there are plenty of people who have eaten right and exercised well and aren't breathing anymore. You're only breathing because God gives you breath. I'm only breathing because God gives me breath. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Worship is not a performance. We sometimes think about, we come into a church service and we see there's a, an elevated platform, a stage, and you do that so, so people can see the people that are helping us worship. And let me say something about it. I already, I told the worship team this morning. I am very thankful for the people that help us worship here. I am thankful for the time they spend. They, they spend time practicing. They come early on Sunday morning and whether they're playing an instrument or singing or whether they're running our sound or our, our lights or our audio visual, our technology, there are a lot of people that sacrifice and spend time and we're thankful for them, but they aren't the stars. They aren't the worshipers. They aren't the ones that we are coming to watch and say, oh, good job. You, you did well today. You sang well today. They're like the ushers. They usher people. They help usher people, I should say, into the presence of God. That's what a worship team in a church or a choir or whatever the format is, whatever the style is, that's what they're designed to do. It's not designed to be a performance. We're so performance-driven in our culture. We go to see performances of all sorts, and we pay for them usually. And we go to watch, and we go to enjoy, and we, we think about it in terms of what am I getting out of this? That's not what worship is. Worship is what am I giving? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The call to worship, the call to praise is the same for everyone. It's every breathing believer called to be a worshiper. And then he just concludes it 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Here's God's word for us this morning. A great and powerful God deserves unlimited praise. I think that's a that's what's being pictured here in Psalm 150. This is not casual praise. This is not just, oh, I'll praise up to a certain limit. This, this is unlimited praise. This is in the heavens. This is in the sanctuary. This is with our lives. This is with our voices. This is with our instruments. This is every living being praising God. I want to make, I've told you, tried to tell you what Psalm 50 or 150 says about praise, about worship, but let me make a few qualifications about what it does not say. And I think that's important for us because we worship individually, but we also worship corporately. We worship together. So first of all, this is, this is not about, not just about music or style. Some people say, Oh, I like, I like loud, expressive music. Some people, Oh, I like soft, reverent music. Or I like this style, style X or Y or Z. This psalm is not about that. This psalm isn't about style, although there was an inherent style in the Old Testament. This, this, This is about the heart. This is about praising God. John Kessler, former professor and chair of pastoral studies uh, or the pastoral studies department at Moody Bible Institute observes in Psalm 150 that there's there's movement from the first verse to the last verse and it's it's structured he says praise and worship doesn't start on earth we don't initiate praise and worship and sometimes we think we do. He says, notice in verse, the first verse, it starts in heaven. In the first couple of verses, praise him in the mighty heavens, praise him with the heavenly host. And so the worship is happening. It's happening in heaven. And then it starts moving down to earth in verses three to five, where it's taken up with instruments and, and dancing. And finally, with human voices, In verse 6, and he says, this is the opposite of the way we often think about it. We can often think of worship as if it is our idea and it's based on our preferences. Oh, I like I like this kind of worship music or I like that kind of worship style. I like it formal. I like it free. Uh, and, And we we can easily make worship about us. That's not what's happening. He says that misunderstands what true worship is. And it it makes us about us rather than what it's supposed to be about. The mighty God of heaven. A right perspective of worship sees the church as entering into worship that is already taking place. It's not just about music or style. Secondly... Worship is not just on Sundays. This is the final psalm. I've already mentioned that, Psalm 150. It's like the psalmist has laid all these things out. Different psalmists have laid things out through 150 chapters in this book, this great collection. 
And now it's like, okay, now go out and praise. Worship does not equal music. Now, it includes music often, and music is a great, a great aid in worship, and it's a way that we can worship. But sometimes people who've been in church for a while will, will say things like, and if, if you're saying this, if you I've said it probably, probably many of us have said it, so it's not criticizing anybody individually who said it, but I'm, I want to talk about a mindset. And sometimes people will say, they'll talk about a church service and they'll, they'll divide it up in two. The worship and the preaching, right? Have you ever thought that, heard that, or said that? Shake your head. Yeah. As if this is what worship is. It's our musical portion of our service. And then, okay, now that we're done with our, our worship portion, now we have teaching or preaching. And the truth is, it's all worship. It's all worship. When we gather together as God's people, when we greet each other, when we encourage each other, when we come together to give each other those pats on the back, those encouragements, when we pray together, and yes, when we sing together in one voice about one God, and when we open God's word and when it's laid out for us and we hear it and it points us to God and it points us to how we can be his followers and actually live as his followers and worship worshipers all week long, that is worship. Does that make sense? It's an integrated thing. Worship. We don't segment and say, well, this is the worship part and then this is this part. As Kessler puts it, when the music stops, the worship continues. When you lay your head on the pillow tonight and thank God for the day, the worship continues. And when you get up tomorrow and begin counting the days to the weekend as you make your way to work, the worship will continue. Let me make another qualification about worship is and isn't based on Psalm 150. It's not just when we feel close to God. We're emotional people. Men and women alike. And I know some, some guys are so macho they don't want to admit it, but men are emotional too. We're emotional people. And sometimes we tend to associate worship with corporate worship, especially musical corporate worship with emotions. And I, we, I'd like to ask the question, is this a naive call? I mean, does this psalmist understand how hard life is? Does this psalmist understand that life is not a bed of roses, that there are difficulties and trials and sickness and pressures and problems of all sorts that people face all the time? Is this psalmist only calling people who feel really close to God in that moment to praise? Well, no. Remember, think about context. This is Psalm 150. There have been 149 other ones. And they're all bound together in one collection. And if you read all 150 of them, you will see many, many times when the psalmist is crying out, Oh, God, will you please hear me? <laughs> Songs of desperation. Times of 
lament. There are a lot of psalms of lament. And there's angst. And there's problem. And there's challenge. And I love that. (laughs) Because worship is not just for those who are having a great day or a great week. Worship is not when we feel close to God because sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. Well, you're more spiritual than I am. I'm sure you feel close to God all the time. But some of us feel close to God sometimes and sometimes we don't. Michael Wilcock, a commentator on the Psalms, also points out how there's a movement from the first psalm to the last psalm. And he says that intervening 148 psalms have worded their way often painfully through the yes buts. They set forth the conflicts, the burdens, the mysteries, the sufferings that both the individual believer and the assembly have to cope with. And all that God does for them on their journey of faith. The single-minded praise of Psalm 150, which sees no evil at all, is not shutting its eyes to the awkward facts. It knows that all such things will, in the end, have been dealt with by God's acts of power. Let me personalize this. Let me personalize this. There's a song that we have sung several times here in corporate worship. I will sing of the goodness of God. I'd heard that song several times, but one Sunday I I came in and I was sitting in my seat where I normally sit. It was a Sunday in February and... couldn't sing anything out loud that day. My mother had become ill very quickly, and she started going downhill very quickly. And um, in midweek of that week, we took her to the hospital like on Wednesday. She never came out of the hospital except for one day, and that was at home hospice 13 days later. But we had taken her to the hospital on that on that Wednesday, and for the next 13 days, my sister and I really tag-teamed, and, and one of us were there almost all the time. We wanted to be there. And I watched my mother at the very end, and I thought about, I thought about her life, and I thought about how even in that hospital, she was trying to praise God. And she was praising God. And I I remember her saying so many times through her life, the Lord has been so good to me. And so the words that day, I, I was so emotional and hurt in that moment as my mom is lying in the hospital, coming near to the, her promotion to heaven. But... I was singing them in my heart. And I heard you sing, I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. 
From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. That was a day, that was a morning. I didn't feel particularly emotionally drawn to worship myself. But as God's people sang it, and the truth was revealed in that, I really did worship and that, that really leads us right into the last qualification. Worship is not just individual, but it's congregational. It's good to praise God alone. It's good to have time that you set aside every day to just get alone with God. Maybe it's to be in your room. Maybe it's to find a different place in the house. Maybe it's to walk out. In the woods or in nature, it's, it's, individual worship is good, no doubt. But worship is not just an individual thing in Scripture. Worship is a corporate thing. It's something we do together. And when, when we hear other people sing, when we're singing the same thing, when we're praising God together, that, that's what we're being called to do. We put our attention on God. And we take our attention off of everything else, the good and the bad in life. That's corporate worship. That's congregational worship. And that's really what's being called for here in Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Use these... I guess there's a such thing as a one-man band, but I don't think that's what he was envisioning here. I think he's envisioning a lot of believers gathering together and worshiping God. Well, let me ask you this. How, how does this psalm point forward to Jesus? I mean, it hasn't mentioned Jesus' name. It was written a long time before Jesus ever walked on this earth. I want to remind you one of the answers and questions we've already had uh, is why do we worship? And we said we worship God for who he is and what he's done, right? How about this verse, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, talking about Jesus. It says, the Son, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And there it is. Who is he? We worship Jesus for who he is. He's the exact representation of God. He is equal with God. He is not lesser than God. He is God the Son. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is the exact representation of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. Well, what has he done? 
after he, first of all, he sustained everything by his powerful word. Everything in creation is sustained by him. And after he had provided purification for sins, you know where that happened and how that happened? That happened on the cross. That's why in a couple of minutes, we're going to receive communion. We're going to take communion. We're going to remember what he did for us by dying on the cross. You see, we were sinful. We were separate from God by nature. All of us were. And somebody needed to make purification. Somebody needed to pay that price. And it was going to be us. And we were going to be separated from God forever, all through eternity. And Jesus said, I will do that. And he died on the cross to purify us from our sins. And after he did that, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's how this points forward to Jesus. We worship God for who he is and what he has done. And when we think about Jesus, let's think about who he is and what he has done. A great and powerful God deserves unlimited praise. Well, I'm going to put one more slide up. I'm going to put some words on the screen, and I, I want you to see, I want you to raise your hand if you recognize these words, if you recognize where they come from. I don't know how many will, but I'm going to put them up there. All right, raise your hand if you recognize that. Okay, good. I'm not the only one. There's Growing up, this was a song in kids' church. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. <laughs> right. And for us at that, at, at that point, you know, we didn't, I didn't know what that was. All I knew was they always divided the boys and the girls, right? And, and the boys sat over here on this side and they sang hallelujah. And then the girls said, praise you, the Lord, praise you. And it was a competition, right? Who could do it the loudest? That's not necessarily the greatest way to be a worship leader. Who can sing the loudest now? But that's what it was. Praise the you know, and then we switched. We'd do it, and then we'd switch. And I didn't know Hebrew when I was seven years old. That hallelujah is praise. <laughs> and hallelujah is praise the Lord. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. And there are many ways of doing it. Sometimes we clap and do it. Sometimes we sing and do it. Sometimes we give our lives and do it. Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing to God. This is your pleasing worship. So we do it with our lives. We do it 24-7. We do it when we're together. We do it when we're serving him apart through the week. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.